Most of us would likely say that the Old Testament is mostly the story of the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham, and it is. But throughout this history we're studying, we're also seeing that God's grace and mercy has always been extended outside the bloodline of Abraham. We saw it a couple of weeks ago as Rahab, the Canaanite, was shown mercy and became part of the people of God. And today we witness a Moabitess, Ruth, take hold of the promises of God and by faith go from foreigner to family. Most of us have seen the opening shot of a movie or television show that begins with a picture of the earth hanging in space. And then the camera slowly zooms in, getting closer and closer, eventually focusing in on one city and then one house, even one person. Well, this is the wonder of long range imaging technology. Using this technology, a camera that is out in space can zoom down beneath the ocean surface to explore an ancient shipwreck or see into enemy territory to reveal where troops are moving. In fact, if you want, Google Earth will enable you to create a video that begins thousands of miles above the Earth and then slowly zooms in to your address, down to an image of your dog sleeping in the sunshine on your back deck. Well, if we were to view the geography of the Bible through satellite imagery, we would see the geography first in Genesis 1, the entire earth with its land separated from its seas. And then as we made our way through the first few books of the Bible, the picture would slowly zoom in on the land bridge that connects the continents of Africa and Asia and Europe. It was on this strip of Middle Eastern real estate that God chose to launch his work to redeem the whole earth. So far in this study of the Old Testament historical books, the zoom on the satellite lens has gone just as far as to encompass this territory assigned by Joshua to the 12 tribes. We can see the arid deserts in the south and the coastal plains and the central mountain range, the green vegetation that is abundant up at the headwaters of the Jordan in northern Israel stands out to us, and it extends along the edges of the Jordan River going south toward the Sea of Galilee, becoming less and less fertile down to the Dead Sea. Via the book of Ruth, we now zoom in much closer, bringing into focus one little town in the Judean wilderness. But in fact, we're going to zoom in even closer than that. We're going to zoom down into the fields surrounding Bethlehem, the fields inherited by one particular clan when they entered into the promised land under Joshua. In fact, we'll zoom down even further into the home of one ordinary Israelite family living in the town of Bethlehem, the home of Elimelech. In the last lesson, we got a wide angle view of what was going on in the land in the years between the time when the Israelites moved in under Joshua and before they became united under a king. 
And remember, with no king to rule and guide them, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, making it a time of cruelty and chaos. Certainly, the people living in that time of misery, who still gave any thought to God, must have wondered if God had given up on his plan to use Israel as his chosen channel through which all the families of the earth were to be blessed. The little book of Ruth, said in this time of the judges, lets us know that God has not given up on his plan, but was, in fact, providentially guiding history to bring it about. Through this little ordinary family, going through extraordinary difficulty, God was about to put on display how he would make a way for the people of God who had walked away from the grace of God to come home to it. And he was going to show how he would draw those who are strangers to his grace to become partakers in it. He was about to turn Bethlehem's fields of grain into fields of grace. The first thing we see as we open up our Bibles to the book of Ruth is we see God's gracious intention. The name of this little town, Bethlehem, means house of bread. So on a satellite photo taken sometime in the mid-14th or late 13th century BC, we might expect to see fields of grain waving in the wind in the fields around Bethlehem. But when we look at this, there is no grain. The fields of Bethlehem are dry and dusty. We read about it in the first verse of the book of Ruth. Look at me at Ruth 1, 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. There is no bread in the house of bread. Remember that this was supposed to be the land flowing with milk and honey, and instead there's a famine. God's intentions for his children are always to use whatever means possible to awaken us to his goodness, to call us back to himself. So this famine really reflects God's gracious intentions Though evidently Elimelech, the father in our family, he can't see it, or he refuses to see it. These were the days when everyone did what was right in his own eyes, and evidently that is what Elimelech is doing. Look with me back in verse 1 and 2. A man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi. And the names of his sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. Instead of responding to the famine in repentance and waiting for God to work to relieve their suffering as he did again and again in the time of the judges, Elimelech decided he would save himself and his family. He determined to take them away from the one place on earth where God had promised to bless and dwell with his people and to take them to a pagan land where the people worshipped pagan gods, the country of Moab, a people founded out of the incestuous relationship between Lot and his oldest daughter. This is where Elimelech decided to pin his hopes for his family and their future. 
Perhaps they left thinking it would only be temporary. But the writer says that they went into the country of Moab and remained there. And then tragedy struck. The family's pursuit of satisfaction and security away from God's place of blessing was a failure inscribed on gravestones in Moab. Look back in Ruth 1. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. First, Elimelech died, leaving Naomi a widow. She was an immigrant single mother in a place where she didn't speak the language or have any extended family, but at least she had her boys. The boys got married and settled down, and before they knew it, they had been there 10 years. And then both sons died. The sons Naomi had come to depend on since her husband died were gone. Naomi was left with two foreign daughters-in-law who were also bereft. Days of happiness had become a distant memory. And then a glimmer of hope. Look in verse 6 in Ruth 1. She heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Grace came down to the fields outside Bethlehem. The Lord provided bread in the house of bread. Naomi was wooed by this grace to return to the place where she could experience that grace again. Look in verse 7. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Ruth and Orpah headed out with Naomi as she set out toward Bethlehem. But at one point in the journey, Naomi stopped, and she told the girls to head back to their own families. They were still young enough to find other husbands and have families of their own. And if they went with Naomi to Israel, where they would likely be hated for being foreigners, there was little chance that they would find husbands and have a family. Besides, Naomi is sure that the hand of the Lord has gone out against her, she says in verse 13. So she's trying to convince them that they can't expect to experience anything good in their future if they go with her. And all three women are there in a heap in the middle of the road weeping. Orpah thinks it through. She can go with Naomi, her aging, bitter mother-in-law, and have Naomi's God, but likely little else. Or she can go home to her family and their gods where she will more likely be able to marry again and have children and enjoy acceptance. If she goes home, she will have everything the world has to offer minus Jehovah. And that is her choice. Ruth, however, came to a different conclusion. Look at verse 16. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. When we hear these words, there is something about them that sounds familiar. 
and not just because we've heard them read out of context at a thousand weddings. Remember that back in Genesis, God had told Abraham, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And then later when he brought his people out of slavery in Egypt, God said to them, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So here is Ruth who has grown up in a land and a family where there was no knowledge of the one true God and his promise to bless. And then she married a man who told her of the God who made promises to his forefathers and redeemed his people out of Egypt and brought them into a good land. These are the promises she married into. And she doesn't want the death of her husband to be the death of her hope. Ruth seemed to understand that the God of Israel gives grace to anyone who will turn to him and embrace him by faith. Her confidence in the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God of Israel emboldened her to abandon all of her previous sources of security. So she literally walked away from her identity as a daughter of Moab to become a daughter of the covenant community of Israel. And when we hear her say, your people shall be my people and your God my God, we're listening to a confession of personal conversion. Ruth, a foreigner to the people of God, a stranger to the promises of God, has taken hold of them and made them her own. The next thing we see in this story is God's gracious provision. When Naomi and Ruth arrived back in Bethlehem, they discovered that what they heard was really true. It was the beginning of the barley harvest. The famine has ended. God had visited his people and they were reaping the harvest of his gracious provision. But there was, however, no crop to be harvested on Elimelech's old abandoned property and no money to buy food. Perhaps Ruth and Naomi found what was left of the old mud hut in Bethlehem and slept in it that first night back in town. But then they woke up hungry and it was a desperate situation. But it wasn't completely hopeless. God had made a provision for those in just such dire straits in his law. Back in Leviticus, we find the record of God's instructions to Israel. Look with me in Leviticus 19 verses 9 and 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Ruth has learned about this gracious provision from God for the poor. So that first morning, she headed out the door to gather whatever grain she could find on the edges of the fields where harvesters were at work. In our modern setting, Ruth would be the immigrant living in a cardboard box under the bridge. 
heading out early in the morning to search for aluminum cans in hopes of collecting enough cash to buy dinner. Ruth likely could not expect a glad welcome at the edges of the field. The Moabites had only a short time before enslaved the Israelites for 18 years. Another king of Moab hired Balaam to curse the tribes of Israel. So surely the poor of Israel would not appreciate a Moabitess picking up what little grain they hoped to gather at the edges. But while Ruth may have been aware of what she might encounter, she didn't head out the door expecting abuse. Instead, she headed out the door expecting to find grace. Look with me in chapter 2, verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Ruth put her confidence in the one who said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And so her expectation was to find favor or grace in fields of grain. Look in verse 3. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. The writer of the book of Ruth is having a bit of fun with us here when he writes that Ruth has just happened to end up on the field of one of her late father-in-law's relatives. This hasn't just happened. It wasn't blind luck or coincidence that brought her to this particular field. It was the providential hand of God. Something bigger is happening here than just a hungry girl gleaning. God is working out his plan for his people. He's bringing a foreigner into the family. Look in verse 4 in chapter 2. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Here is evidence that Boaz is an exceptional man in his day. A day, if you remember, in which men did what was right in their own eyes with little thought of God. Yet just by his greeting, he shows that he is a man walking in the covenant promises God made to be with his people. The Lord of steadfast kindness is on his mind and it's on his lips. Boaz asks who the young woman is who is picking up grain along the edges. And his foreman tells him that she is the Moabitess who returned with Naomi and that she's been working hard in the field since early that morning. Look in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 2. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. There it is, grace. Unmerited favor. Grace even more abundant and more amazing than Ruth could have expected. Instead of referring to her as the Moabitess, which emphasized her outsider status, Boaz calls her my daughter. 
taking responsibility for her. He wants to provide for her, protect her. He's heard all about how she has bound herself to her mother-in-law at great cost to herself, and also how she has bound herself to Yahweh. Perhaps he remembered that Abraham himself was a foreigner and a stranger to the land of promise, that Abraham also once served other gods and left his family turning his back on their gods and putting his faith in the one true God who had called him out of that far-off land. Or perhaps Boaz was thinking of his own mother. In the book of Matthew, when we read the genealogy of Jesus, we discover that Boaz's mother was Rahab the prostitute. His own mother was a foreigner to the promises of God and yet reached out and made them hers through faith. Perhaps when Boaz thought of his mother and looked into the eyes of Ruth, his heart was moved by the grace of his God who has always called people from every tribe and nation to be grafted into the olive tree of Israel. Boaz offered Ruth acceptance in the people of God. And Ruth was amazed by grace. Look in chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Here is the beautiful picture that is laced throughout the Bible of God as a mother hen who spreads her wings over her little chicks to draw them in close and protect them from harm. And Boaz isn't finished showing grace to Ruth. He tells his men to let her glean, not just on the edges, but in the heart of the fields where the grain is abundant. And so by the time she heads home, she has at least 30 pounds of barley. Now think about a five pound bag of flour and imagine wrapping up maybe six or seven of those five pound bags in your big scarf and hauling them home on your back. It would make a statement when you staggered into the door. And Naomi, who has been able to think of little else than her empty stomach all day and her empty heart, sees her daughter, who went out empty-handed, come through the door with a sack full of grain. Look in chapter 2, verse 19. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And this name rings a bell with Ruth, Boaz. You can almost see the light 
coming on and the wheels beginning to turn in her head. Look in verse 20. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. By one of our redeemers, Naomi means that because Boaz is a close relative, he could fulfill the role of kinsman redeemer as provided for in the law God gave to Moses. A redeemer acted as a protector, defender, avenger, or rescuer for other members of the family, especially in situations of threat, loss, poverty, or injustice. And so when a family member fell into poverty and had to sell their land, the kinsman redeemer could buy it back and restore it to the family so that it stayed within the family. And when a family member died without an heir, the kinsman redeemer could marry the widow with the aim of producing an heir not for himself, but for the dead husband. So when Naomi heard about the close relative Boaz, who was so kind to Ruth, she wondered if Boaz might be willing to serve as a kinsman redeemer to provide an heir to inherit the land that once belonged to Elimelech. Now, of course, she was too old to marry and have children. But Ruth wasn't. And the next thing we see is God's gracious redemption. So Ruth continued to glean in the fields of Boaz throughout the summer. And when the season of harvesting came to an end, the men were so busy threshing the harvested grain that they didn't even go home to sleep at night, but just slept on the threshing floor. And Naomi decided it was time to take action. So she instructed Ruth to wash and perfume herself and sneak onto the threshing floor under cover of darkness and lay down at the feet of Boaz. Look in Ruth chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. So Boaz wakes up because his feet are cold. But when he goes to tuck in the covers around his cold feet, he makes a startling discovery. Look back in chapter 3, verse 8. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. Notice that she uses the same phrase Boaz had used when he first met her and prayed for this one who had taken refuge under the wings of the God of Israel to be blessed. In a sense, Ruth is asking Boaz to be the answer to his own prayer. She's saying, cover me, redeem me, Take me from foreigner to family, from widow to wife, from one without provision or protection 
or privilege to one who shares your abundance, safety, and rest. She's really saying, will you marry me? And immediately, we sense Boaz wants to. Look in verse 10 and 11. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. So Ruth has an affirming yes, but there is a slight hitch. Look back in verse 12 and 13. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, Boaz tells her. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. So there's a closer living relative to Elimelech who has the first rights of refusal to serve as redeemer. So Ruth leaves and she knows she's engaged to be married. She's just not sure who the groom will be. But now at least she can rest. She went to the threshing floor with an empty future looming. And she has left with a promise. Her Redeemer intends to cover her, care for her, make her his bride. We can't help but feel the sense of romance in this story, though it might actually be reading too much into it. There's no explicit indication that Boaz and Ruth have fallen in love. Ruth's primary concern is her unselfish desire to provide Naomi with an heir, not a selfish desire to find herself a husband. Perhaps Boaz was already married and had children, or maybe he was a widower, or maybe he had never married and did in fact find true love with Ruth late in his life. Whatever the case, Boaz was determined to address the situation appropriately. Though everyone around him was doing what was right in their own eyes. Boaz wanted to do what was right in God's eyes in regard to the rights of redemption. So Boaz went to the gate of the city where legal issues were handled. And once again, we witness a seeming coincidence, which of course is no coincidence. The writer of Ruth tells us in chapter four, verse one, and behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. Don't miss the clever way Boaz presents the opportunity at hand to the unnamed potential redeemer. First, he's going to present the possibility of the purchase of the parcel of land that belonged to Elimelech from Naomi. And immediately, the man says, yes, he will redeem it. But then, Boaz completes the picture of what the purchase will require Look in verse 5. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Wait a minute. <laughs> now the deal doesn't look so good. If this 
unnamed redeemer marries this young widow and she has a child, that child will inherit the land. And he will have just lost all the money he paid for it, money that would otherwise go to his own heirs. He would be spending his money to give a lasting name and inheritance to Elimelech, not himself. So the deal is off. But Boaz is willing to pay the price. He will redeem. Look in Ruth 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. There we have it, a satisfying conclusion to the story, so it seems. But in fact, this is nowhere near the conclusion of the story. Look in verses 21 and 22. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Let's go back to our satellite lens out there in space. If we were to take another picture of these same fields outside Bethlehem a couple of generations later, we would see a young shepherd boy strumming on his lyre, practicing with his slingshot, caring for his father's flocks. He has a ruddy complexion and beautiful eyes and is quite handsome. And he doesn't know it yet. But someone from his house in Bethlehem is on the way out to get him because the prophet Samuel has come to anoint him as the next king over Israel. And then if we were to take another picture of those same fields outside Bethlehem, another thousand years later, here's what we would find. It's recorded in Luke 2, verses 8 through 11. There were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Once again, the fields outside of Bethlehem were flooded with grace and with glory. Born in Bethlehem on that night was the true Redeemer that Boaz had shown God's people in shadow form. In Boaz's day, God had visited Bethlehem so that the people would not die of hunger. And once again, God visited Bethlehem so that his people would not die of hunger. On that starry night, God visited his people to give them the bread of life. The one who said, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. The one about whom John wrote, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Like Boaz who was qualified to redeem because he was a close relative, Jesus was qualified to redeem by being made like his brothers in every way. Like Boaz, who 
wanted Ruth to take refuge underneath his sheltering wings, Jesus said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Like Boaz, who spread the corner of his garment over Ruth, who had put herself at his feet, Christ spreads his robe of righteousness over anyone who will put herself or himself at his feet and ask for that covering. Like Boaz, who rose from the threshing floor, determined to go outside the gates of the city to do all that was legally necessary to redeem, Jesus determined to go outside the gates of the city and all of the way to the cross to do all that was legally necessary to redeem, declaring when the work was done and the price was paid, it is finished. And like Ruth, you and I were foreigners to God's grace, and we've been welcomed, welcomed in by our Redeemer. We read about that in Ephesians 2 which says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. As the penniless foreigner Ruth cast herself at Boaz's feet, so we, alienated from God, unworthy, needy, cast ourselves at the feet of Jesus, as she was dependent on the kindness and mercy of Boaz, we have no other hope than the mercy of God. We need to be brought under the covering of the one who can provide peace and security. We need a bridegroom with integrity who will take us to himself. Won't you come and put yourself at the feet of the only one worthy to redeem and say, fill up my emptiness, take away my hunger, take me from foreigner to family, cover me, give me a future, make me into your pure bride. I come as one who has no provision and no protection and I'm asking you to give me all of these privileges out of the riches of your grace. He will overwhelm you with his kindness. He will fill your emptiness with his abundance. He will cover you with the robe of his righteousness. He will say to you, as Boaz said to Ruth, and now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. As the Lord lives, I will redeem you.